Well, good morning um, and welcome to virtual church. Today is the 7th of June uh, 2020, or to put another way, it is day 84 of the lockdown. You know, when we um, look back on this time, it's just going to be a little drop in our memory. Um, it's just going to be something we can look back on a small part of our life. Uh, but uh, we come, don't we, to worship the God of eternity. And really, when you consider eternity, this time really is just a drop in the ocean, hence the sea behind me. Uh, we're coming to worship the God of eternity. So as we do, and as we come together, let's just briefly uh, pray together. Father, we come to you and ask that by your spirit, you would work in our lives, that uh, over the next hour or so, as we uh, work through this virtual service, that you would engage with us. Uh, by your spirit, you would engage with our hearts. And Father, as we speak words, as we sing words, as we listen to words, we ask that you, by your word, would work in our hearts. And Father, give us the uh, courage and the grace uh, to work your word out in our lives, that we might truly follow him, our Saviour, in whose name we ask this. Amen. Uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus meeting the rich young ruler, uh, Luke 18 verses 18 to 30. And the theme is getting our self-assessment right. Now that sounds a little dreary, doesn't it, getting our self-assessment right? But if we get our self-assessment right, then we can truly understand what Christ has done. Get our self-assessment right, then there's a realisation of how much God has loved us and just how marvellous what Christ has done for us on the cross is. So we're going to be visiting Rob's studio for song. We're going to be visiting Cat's kitchen for the kids' talk. We're going to be visiting Doreen's garden uh, for the reading. And we're going to be uh, visiting a room in my house uh, for the sermon. Uh, but to start with, we're going to sing two great songs of self-assessment and realisation. Uh, in a moment, we're going to sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. But before that, we're going to sing Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God. And there's a, the bridge in that song is, Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full, by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Let's uh, stand, stand wherever you are, and sing his praise together. Luke 18 the rich ruler. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, 
What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Before we come to God's word, let's uh, briefly pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of it. Uh, we thank you for even the difficult passages that cause us to ask difficult questions. And we pray that by your spirit, you would speak to each one of us now, that each one of us uh, from considering your word would be blessed. And Father, give us the courage to take what we learn and apply it to our lives. In his name we ask it. Amen. Well, uh, we're uh, looking at this passage, the passage that Doreen uh, read to us uh, from Luke 18, uh, verse 18. I don't know about you, but over the uh, lockdown period, over this period of the pandemic, I've been rather inundated with people sending me pictures or little videos, um, trying to be humorous um, during the lockdown. And uh, one of the ones that uh, um, I w looked at, I watched, came from a colleague of mine who works in India. And he sent this uh, little video, and it's of an Indian comedian telling a story. And I found it very amusing. I guess the way he told it made it more amusing, and I doubt I'm going to be as successful as he was. But the story was about a couple, a married couple, um, who had three daughters. Um, and the daughters were all now in their teenage years. Uh, but suddenly, unexpectedly, uh, surprisingly, uh, the couple found that they were pregnant again. And sure enough, um, a little boy was born. And uh, they had a habit, this couple, of naming their children after an emotion they felt at the time of birth. So the first child, uh, the, the first daughter born, was called Lovely. The second daughter was called Happy. And the third daughter was called Sunshine. But the birth of this son, this unexpected uh, child, this surprise, they called him unbelievable. Now imagine going through life with a first name of unbelievable. You can imagine how when uh, the register was being taken at school, how other children used to mock him because of his name, unbelievable. And uh, sure enough, as the uh, child grew and became a man, he decided he wasn't going to use the name Unbelievable. So he's a bit like Morse, if you know the story of Morse. He refused to be known by his first name and preferred just to be called by his surname. So much so, the name Unbelievable uh, wasn't uttered. But occasionally, when he had to uh, sign legal documents and the, and the like, the name Unbelievable would be resurrected. Well, Unbelievable led a full life. And at the end of his life, um, he's on his deathbed and he gathers his family around him, his wife, his children, his grandchildren. And he's lying on his deathbed and he says, um, you know, I know I'm to leave this, uh, leave this life. I've just got two requests, just two requests. Request one is that I'm buried. I don't want to be burnt. I want to be buried. And request two, you don't have to, but if you want to put a headstone on my grave, then my request is you do not put my name on that headstone. You do not put unbelievable on 
my headstone. I've been blighted by that name in life. I don't want to be blighted by that name in death. So sure enough, the family acquiesced to his wishes. He was buried and they put a headstone on his grave. And the headstone read, here lies a man who was a completely loving and faithful husband, a perfect father and a grandfather without fault. That's what they wrote on the headstone. And now, of course, when people walk around the graveyard and they come to that headstone and they read this, here lies a man who was a completely loving and faithful husband, a perfect father and a grandfather without fault. People stand and read that headstone and they say, ah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> now, I can imagine uh, if I've told that story to you at Stapleford, uh, some of you will be smiling straight away, some of you will be wondering why on earth that's funny at all, and maybe in five minutes' time you'll start to get the joke. But there is an unbelievable point in this passage we read, isn't there? Um, Jesus puts to this uh, rich young ruler that he uh, needs to keep the law, and verse 23, this uh, rich young ruler says, All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. I've got to say, unbelievable unbelievable now this for me is the key message and the key point of this whole passage i've read a number of commentaries and listened to a number of sermons and different people bring out different key messages some people uh, make this passage all about eternity which it could be some people make this passage about uh, the christian's attitude to wealth which it could be and we will touch upon these messages uh, but for me the key message of this sermon is one of self-assessment. It's essential we get our self-assessment before God correct. All of these I've kept since I was a boy, he said, unbelievable. Now, was he deluded? Was he deliberately lying? Or is he just misunderstanding God's standard? I suspect the latter. He was just simply misunderstanding God's standard. And it's really important that we get our self-assessment before the throne of God, before a holy, just God. It's very important we get our self-assessment right. We get it correct. Jason touched on this last week with the glorious new covenant which leads to death. How much more glorious is the new covenant that leads to life? We must get our self-assessment right. Before a holy, loving and just God, what are we? Well, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Isaiah says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags or as toilet paper. That's what we are before a holy God. And we must understand that. Because only when we understand that, what we naturally are before God, then, and only then, can we truly understand the magnitude of his love for us and the glorious nature of his grace towards us. It's only when we realise that this God has loved the unlovely that we realise just how glorious his love is. It's only when we realise we are dead in trespasses and sins and we understand why Jesus had to die on that cross that the whole thing makes sense. Without getting our self-assessment correct, then the cross is an empty gesture. It's meaningless. It's massively important we get our self-assessment correct. 
And that, for me, is the key message from this passage. There's so much more in here, um, and we're simply going to wander through it. If you've got your Bibles, uh, we're looking at the Luke version of this account encounter. Luke 18, reading from verse 18. We're just going to wander through that. I will make reference to the Matthew uh, version um, <clears throat> as well. If you want to read the Matthew version, this is on YouTube. Um, so you can pause it and you can go and have a look at um, the Matthew uh, passage as well, which is Matthew uh, chapter 19. Um, have, a, have a pause, uh, have, a, have a drink and come back to it. We're simply going to walk through this passage in Luke 18. And I've got five sections, five. Jason had five sections uh, two weeks ago, so I'm allowed five. Uh, firstly, verse 18 um, we're going to see that this rich young ruler asks a difficult question. Secondly, verses 19 to 22, we're going to see that Jesus gives him a direct answer. Then verses 23 to 26, we're going to see that Jesus makes a disturbing statement. And then verse 27, we have this tantalising verse. Um, verse 27, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And we're going to look at that under the heading of a divine solution. And then finally, verses 20, <coughs> 28 to 30, we're going to look at the disciples' reward. So five sections to walk through. Um, <coughs> and uh, we'll make a start with a difficult question. Now, this rich young ruler, verse 18, comes uh, to Jesus and he asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now that's a difficult question. Uh, there'd be Jewish scholars and theologians who are asking that question. In the Old Testament, God has put out this message that there is an eternity, there is an eternal life. And in Isaiah 9, for example, we've got that prophecy where it talks about Jesus, the coming Messiah, and uh, of the increase in his government and peace, there will be no end. There's eternity promised. But the mechanism, how is this going to be achieved? How is God going to deliver this promise is not known. So it's a difficult question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, I find it interesting that uh, this rich young ruler is asking this difficult question, but he's asking it of the right person. He is looking and standing before the only man who's ever come from eternity and the only man who knows how God is going to answer this question. Interesting, isn't it? Um, in this time of lockdown, pandemic, suddenly we've seen the re-emergence of science-based authority or knowledge-based authority. Suddenly politicians are lining up uh, to follow uh, the science. Uh, how many times have we heard that we're following the science, we're following the best advice? Uh, a few months ago, before lockdown, experts were not listened to. Suddenly experts are being listened to. And, uh, you know, when it comes to these difficult questions of life, maybe you're a seeker watching this. Maybe you don't know whether there's a God or not. You're asking the question, is there a God in heaven? And maybe you've got to the point where you realise there is a God in heaven, but then is this God interested in me? Is there an eternity? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? These are difficult questions. Well, who are you going to ask? Who is the expert you're going to turn to to ask these questions? I find it uh, quite interesting that very often people want to pour over the lyrics of a John Lennon song or take the views of Oprah Winfrey or the views of Justin Bieber. These are not experts in these matters. If you want to ask these difficult questions, then come to the expert. Where is the expert? Well, here. I'm holding it in my hand. 
God has given his, his word. He has revealed himself to us and his ways and his answers to these difficult questions. Come and chat to the expert. Secondly, as a subsection, why does the rich run, or why is the rich young ruler interested in eternal life? What's going on here? Because this rich young ruler, if you put the Matthew passage and the Luke passage together, here's a young man who seems to have everything. He's young, he's got wealth, and he's got authority. Everything seems to be lining up for him to have this perfect life. I guess, uh, you know, in my, my world, um, it's a bit like the graduate, the young graduate coming into work. Here's this bright young thing who seems to have everything lined up, socially good, academically good. The world is his oyster uh, or her oyster. They can do whatever they want to put their mind to. Or I suppose a more extreme example would be the teenage football star or the teenage pop star. They've achieved fame and fortune at a very early age. Everything seems to be going their way. Yet so many of such people recognise that can't be all there is to this life. There must be more. And I think this rich young ruler's there. He thinks there must be more to life than this. I've often said that um, God created us with a God-shaped gap in our lives. And we're never truly content without knowing our Heavenly Father. There's more to life than this. And this rich young ruler, he's got faith of a sort. He knows of the God in heaven and he knows there's an eternity to be inherited or not, as the case might be. And he's worried. His question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or in the Matthew version, it's put as, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? You see what this young man is lacking? This young man is lacking assurance. He is not sure that he's done enough to inherit eternal life. And that's the problem, of course, with a works-based salvation or a works-based gospel. We can never be sure we've done enough. This young man lacks assurance. He's not sure that he's done enough. Can you see what a, a works-based salvation does to you? It's a bit like cleaning uh, in covid you can clean an area, but how do you know you cleaned it well enough? You've got to clean it again. No assurance that the job is done, that it's complete, that it's finished. So this rich young ruler comes and asks this difficult question, but he's asking it of the one man who truly knows the answer. So secondly, the direct answer, verses 19 to 22. Now notice firstly what Jesus does here is he sets the standard. Jason talked a bit about this last week in his sermon about setting the standard and we cannot meet God's standard. Uh, verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God. You can see what Jesus has done there. He has set the standard. The standard here is God's standard. It's perfection and we will not meet it. Uh, the word sinner is um, somewhat laughed at these days, but the sinner of course is that name for the arrow. The arrow that falls short of the target. Um, in the Romans 3 passage, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory or the target of God. We fail to meet God's perfect standard. We're back to this idea of self-assessment. We are wretches before the throne of God. 
In fact, of course, it's self-assessment is there in many of the great hymns and worship songs we sing. Um, the beautiful name, we have that fantastic line, my sin was great, but your love was greater. Our amazing grace, why is grace so amazing? Amazing grace, it's so amazing because amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Can you see the self-assessment there? And what about uh, Rock of Ages? Foul I to the fountain fly, wash, wash me saviour or I die. Jesus sets the standard, God's standard, perfection. He's given this man a clue and then he says no one is good except God alone. Verse 20, you know the commandments and then Jesus gives him the second table of the law. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. And the Matthew passage sums that up as loving your neighbour as yourself. And then verse 21, we have this unbelievable statement. All of these I've kept since a boy, he said. Was he deluded? Did he really think, think he'd kept them? Was he deliberately lying? Or has he just misunderstood God's standard? And as I've said, I think the latter is true. He has just misunderstood God's standard. This young man was probably judging himself by human standard. I remember um, a long time ago when I was a scout, uh, a teenage lad, we used to do a thing called the night hike. I used to like the night hike. We would leave the scout hut about 9.30pm and we'd walk through the night. We'd do it during the summer months. And we'd end up at someone's house about 6am in the morning for a full cooked breakfast, having walked through the night. It was good fun. But I remember on one of these night hikes, I fell over and I fell in a farmer's field in what I thought was mud. To this day, I insist it was just mud. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I, in the dark night, in the half light of a summer's night, I cleaned myself off and I thought, hmm, that looks all right. Mum will never notice. I thought by the standard of that half light, I was clean and of course when the dawn came and the sun came up and I looked at my trousers I was filthy and that's our problem we judge ourselves by human standards we ju judge ourselves by the half light of our morality and our ethics but then when we come and stand in the spotlight of God's standard when we come before his judgment throne if you want to put it like that we will realize just how filthy and foul and wretched we are. This rich young ruler did not understand that. Imagine how different this conversation would have been if the rich young ruler, when faced with the law of God, had fallen to his knees and said, Lord, I know I've not kept God's law. Is there any hope for me? Can you imagine how different this conversation would be? And then verse 22, when Jesus heard this, Jesus knows this cannot be true. He knows this man is deluded, he's lying, or is simply misunderstanding God's standard. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor. What's going on there? Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Well, he's calling this young man's bluff. If you're keeping God's law to perfection, if you're loving the neighbor, your neighbour as yourself, as we have in the Matthew passage, then you will do this. You will sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's the perfection. That's the standard. Can you meet that standard? And of course, the rich young man turns away. He recognises he cannot meet that standard. Now, the whole tangential part of the uh, teaching here, we can uh, 
uh, talk, start asking about uh, the impact of wealth on a Christian and what Christians should do with money. Um, I think we've got to balance our teaching, um, thoroughly balance it here. The Bible teaches about the value of hard work. Uh, New Testament, lots of passages about providing for yourself and your family and providing for others. Uh, John Wesley, of course, says, earn as much as you can so you can give as much as you can. A famous quote that Margaret Thatcher uh, picked up. Uh, but I think that's tangential. All that's a separate um, area of um, teaching. I don't think that's the prime point here. The prime point here is that this young man needs to recognise where he stands before the standard of God. And if he's interested in inheriting eternal life, we have the direct answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, says Jesus, come follow me. And the selling to everything you have and giving it to the poor says, make me Lord of your life. I need to be number one priority over your life, says Jesus. You're interested in eternal life, then come follow me. Jesus is not changing his message. If you just flip back um, to Luke chapter 9, we have a very similar idea of teaching. And verse um, 23, he says in uh, Luke 9 verse 23, Then he said to them, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's the same answer. Money isn't the issue here. It's denying self. What's denying himself denying self means? Well, it means taking ourselves off the throne of our lives and putting Christ in his rightful place. He will be Lord of our life. Deny ourselves, put him on the throne of our lives. And then what do we do? Well, we take up our cross daily. What's that about? Well, I think that's a reference or could be a reference um, <coughs> to the Ephesians 2 passage where we're told we're saved by grace alone through faith alone because of the work of Christ alone for what to do those good works prepared in advance for us to do that's our Christian service and by doing that by putting Christ as Lord of our life and following him day by day by day there's the direct answer to the question what must I do to inherit eternal life and we're going to see we cannot do that on our own we can only do that with God's help and that's uh, going to come later in the sermon so a difficult question a direct answer then thirdly we have a disturbing statement verse 23 when he heard this he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? You see, this is a disturbing statement, verse 26, because those who heard it, basically saying, who then can be saved? No one can be saved. That's disturbing. No one's going to inherit eternal life. This is a disturbing statement. We should all be uh, greatly disturbed by it. But I think to, <clears throat> we've got to also understand in uh, interpreting this, that in the first century, first century Israel, the rich were held up as people who were particularly blessed of God. If anyone was going to inherit eternal life, it would be the rich. Therefore, for Jesus to say it's impossible for the rich to have eternal life, it's a disturbing statement because everyone's saying, well, if the rich are not going to heaven, there's no chance for me. 
it's interesting, isn't it, uh, why they should have that view? I think if you uh, look at the Old Testament, many of the heroes of the Old Testament were blessed by God with material wealth. Abraham, for example, was a very wealthy man. Job suffered greatly. But how did God demonstrate his blessing to Job? Well, he had great material wealth. Uh, King David, King Solomon, these were people blessed of God and that blessing was evident in their material wealth. So in that culture and that time, rich people were seen as being particularly blessed of God. We don't have that in our culture, do we? If anything, we're a little cynical about the rich. We think they're the fat cats that must have done things illegal or they've benefited from the labours of others to be as wealthy as they are. Um, so this probably doesn't, uh, isn't making a disturbance in our lives as it did in the people that originally heard it. But the point here is that it's impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of God by his own works or his own efforts. And we do have this interesting idiom. Uh, Jesus says, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There was a teaching um, <coughs> for quite a while that the uh, eye of the needle was actually the name of a gate in the wall of Jerusalem. And uh, this gate was a small gate. And for a camel to get through it, the camel needed to be offloaded of all its goods. The imagery of a rich man selling all his possessions. Uh, and to get the camel through the gate, the camel had to kneel and go through the gate. The idea of someone humbling themselves, uh, a little like the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the humble. Um, but <clears throat> despite extensive research, no evidence of such a gate can be found in ancient Jerusalem. So we're left with this being an idiom of the impossible, a bit like we might say looking for a needle in a haystack or as much chance of a, as a, a snowman in a deep fat fryer. This is an idiom of the impossible. And Jesus is saying very clearly here that it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And by extension, because of the culture, the people listening then are saying, well, no one can be saved then. It's impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of heaven. Impossible for anyone to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, verse 27, concurs. What is impossible with men is possible with God. What is impossible with men is impossible with God. So firstly, Jesus is saying, yes, this is impossible for men. And I think it's important that we stop there and just pause. Because in a moment, I'm just going to talk about the gospel. I'm going to talk about how God has made this possible. But I think it's important that we just stop and pause. I recognise many people uh, watching this or listening to this will be Christians. You will know the great message of the gospel. But just pause for a moment and imagine you didn't. Just imagine you've been led in your journey to this point where you recognise there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. And this God is interested in you and you recognize there is a heaven and there is a hell and you recognize God has set this perfect standard it's a standard that I've fallen short of I can never meet imagine how desperate you would be at that point and now Jesus says verse 27 what is impossible with men is possible with God. Aren't you suddenly very interested in this? Aren't you suddenly desperate to know how God is going to make this possible? That you might have eternal life. 
that you might inherit eternal life. Are you not interested in how that's going to work? Jesus here in verse 27 is just putting out this tantalising statement. The divine solution is there. And we know, don't we? We know how God has made this possible. I've said before that the gospel is not difficult to understand. Not difficult to understand. It's a, a very simple concept. It's a simple concept of bill payment. Imagine that I owe the gas board a lot of money. I've not paid my gas bill for months and months and months. So much so, they, so, so much so they've turned the supply off. In fact, I've not paid for so long, they're now suing me and they're threatening to throw me into jail for not paying my bill. And then my mother-in-law, you saw her, she was reading the passage uh, before the sermon. My mother-in-law steps in and says, don't worry, John, I'll pay the bill for you. So she kindly pays the gas board. Now the gas board cannot sue me anymore. They cannot throw me into the jail for not paying the bill because the bill has been paid. I've not paid it. Someone's paid it for me. Now it's a very simple concept, isn't it? We can all understand that concept. The gospel message is not difficult to understand, but my word, it is difficult to believe. It is almost impossible to believe because <clears throat> if we've got our self-assessment right, if we recognise what we are before a holy and just God, if we recognise there is nothing lovable, nothing righteous, nothing good in us at all, we've got to ask the question, why would God love me? How is it that this God from heaven could love me so much as to send his son to die on that cross for me? That's difficult to believe. That's almost impossible to believe that God would do that. But all I can say is that this book tells me he has. He has told us in his world, in his word, that he so loved us that he sent his son to die on that cross for us. And Jesus tells us, of course, that he's laid his life down for us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus laid his life down for us. Impossible to believe. And so Ephesians 2, God even gives us the gift of faith so that we may believe. Faith alone, God's grace alone giving us that gift of faith alone so that we can believe the almost unbelievable that God would so love us and in the work of Christ he has paid our debt. God has made the impossible possible and we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and we can stand before the throne of God and we can pray our Father magnificent, the impossible made possible through the death of Christ on that cross. I'm quite taken by the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, we can do nothing but exercise that gift of faith that God has given us and trust in what Christ has done on the cross. Get our self-assessment right and the true wonder of that, the true overwhelming nature of God's love, the glorious nature of his grace, we can start to see that and we can start to understand that and we can start to praise him for it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This word inherit, <coughs> I guess the rich young ruler was using it because he was a Jew. He had Abraham's genes 
and uh, he saw this as a birthright, hence inherit eternal life. But you know, it's true of us as well. We inherit as children of God, we inherit <coughs> this concept of inheritance. I've got here a copy of my will. See that? <laughs> this is the last will and testament of me, John Michael Horry. There it is, my will. A very simple will. I paid a solicitor a certain amount of money to uh, um, write it for me. Very simple will. Basically, it says if I die, then my wife gets it all. Um, and if my wife uh, dies before I do, then it's split into three. My estate split into three and it goes to my children. Now, at the moment, of course, this is a worthless piece of paper. Why? Because I've not died. You see, I could tear this up and I could write another will tomorrow. At the moment, worthless. But it only becomes worth something when I die. And can you see the wonder of that? We have inherited eternal life now. Why? Because Jesus died and his will was that we should inherit eternal life. What is impossible with men is possible with God, the divine solution. And then fifthly, we come to the disciples reward. Verse 28, Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Now I find that almost the most amazing verse in this whole passage. <clears throat> Why is that so amazing? Well, if uh, you've been following the gist of this and the gist of the conversation, you will be there. God sets his perfect standard. Mankind, humankind cannot meet God's standard. Salvation, eternal life is impossible for us to attain. There's nothing good we can do. But Jesus puts out this tantalising statement that what is impossible with men is possible with God. Don't you think the next question should be, how, Lord, how, Jesus, is God going to make this possible? Don't you think that's the obvious question to ask? Maybe Peter's not been listening. Maybe he's just seen this rich young ruler uh, walk away and he's thinking, that man's got everything. I wonder what I'm going to have. I wonder if Peter's just thinking about himself because he seems to go back in the conversation and says, Peter says, we have left all we had to follow you. Of course, for Peter, we know he left his fishing business. Um, Peter was married, so I sus suspect that during this time he's going around uh, with Jesus. He's estranged from his wife. I don't know. Conjecture. Maybe he had children. He's left all that to follow Jesus. And then Jesus, in his answer, I think there's great compassion here. Jesus says, verse 29, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God <coughs> will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Eternal life. The disciples' reward. Let me tell you another little story. This is one of the first stories I remember from school assemblies. And it's a story of a Chinese, an ancient Chinese beggar, long before China was a nation when it was lots of little kingdoms, little principalities. Um, this beggar's name was Chen. And Chen had a very simple daily routine. 
each morning he would get up and he would take the proceeds of the previous day's begging to a stall in the market where he would trade um, that money for a big bowl of rice and he would take that big bowl of rice and he would sit in the temple gate with a bowl of rice and he would beg and during the day he would eat bits of the rice to sustain himself and that pattern would repeat day after day after day. One day something very strange happened. He was uh, sitting there begging away and this um, rather well-dressed rather wealthy looking young man came and sat next to him. That didn't happen very often. And this uh, well-dressed young man said, um, I'm, I'm very hungry. I could really do with some of your rice. Can you lend me some of your rice? And the young man went on to say, I'm, I got lost. I know where I am now and I've got about three, three miles left to walk to get home, but I can't help seeing that lovely bowl of rice. Um, could you give me some of your rice? Well, Chen looked this man up and down and thought, how can this man, who's clearly got so much, come to me, a beggar, and ask for a little bit of my rice? So Chen, without speaking, reached into his bowl of rice and he counted out three grains, just three grains of rice, and put them into the palm of the young man. Clearly this was before social distancing. And the rich young man looked at his three grains of rice, looked at Chen, said, thank you very much, and he ate the three grains of rice and he walked on his way. Now Chen didn't think much more about it so he went through his daily routine, um, he went and slept, the next day he took his money uh, to the stall and got another bowl of rice and the next day he was begging away when something really remarkable happened. A troop of soldiers came his way, uh, horns were blowing and the troop of soldiers made an honour guard in front of Chen, you know, a row of soldiers either side of Chen, uh, from Chen to the road. <clears throat> and then on the road, Chen could see a gold coach arrive. And out of the gold coach stepped this young man. But this time he was dressed in his golden robes. He was clearly the prince of the realm. And he walked up to Chen and he dropped into Chen's begging bowl. Not one, not two, but three golden coins. More money than Chen could ever beg for. You know what Chen said? He said, I wish I'd given him more. Now why do I tell you that story? Well, you know, I suspect when we're in heaven and we're enjoying the riches of heaven, not one of us will be sitting back saying, I wish I'd done less for Jesus while there on earth. We will be richly rewarded even for things we're giving begrudgingly, begrudgingly giving grains of rice to our Lord, we will be richly rewarded in heaven. But you know, it's very easy to miss something in this last little statement of Jesus. Uh, verse 30, we'll fail to receive many times as much in this age. You know, it's not just rewards in heaven. It's not just pie in the sky when we die. There's much to be enjoyed in this age. Our eternal life has started now. We've already inherited because Christ has died and made it possible. And, uh, you know, sometimes we seem to have this view of the Christian life that it's something for us to endure. No, it's something for us to enjoy. It's the best way of living, to live this life knowing God as your heavenly Father, to know uh, the Spirit's presence in our life, to know all those blessings that Jesus and God shower upon their disciples. Jesus dis <laughs> showers upon his disciples. 
to know those blessings, 10,000 reasons to bless the name of the Lord. Enjoy the Christian life. The Christian life is to be enjoyed and not endured. And we're looking forward to that time when we will be with him in heaven. The disciples reward. So there we have it. There we have uh, this encounter with this rich young ruler. Difficult question. You know, if you're a seeker, then don't fail to ask the difficult question, but make sure you're asking the expert. And for all of us, let's make sure we get this self-assessment right, because if we get the self-assessment right, then everything else follows and we can see God's overwhelming love and overwhelming grace. We've got many reasons to praise him. And let's enjoy those gifts and benefits that come to us as people who are looking to follow Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, the direct answer is make Christ Lord of your life and endeavour to follow him. May God give us the grace and ability so to do. Amen. We're going to close by singing that great hymn of self-assessment that John Newton wrote. Amazing grace. Why is the grace so amazing? Ah, because it saved a wretch like me. And that final verse, the disciples reward, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. May God continue to bless you.